0: Welcome back to Clothesline Retro, the the review that takes you back on that nostalgic road back to classic pay-per-view events of the World Wrestling Federation or any other wrestling organization that we have. I'm Oren as usual, and with me is my good friend Gordon. Gordon, how are you on this fabulous day?
1: I'm quite all right, Oren, and um, I hope to find you in the same uh, kind of, shall we say, health. Uh, We have discovered most recently, that we have a fan. We have a fan, just a single fan, but this is where you start from. We have a fan. His name is Oliver. I've known him for over 20 years, and he got our review. He advised us, and he mostly complimented us for our style. And I should mention, I didn't bring this up. Um, He actually said that our so-called English is actually better than what he had a chance to listen to from most Americans. Imagine this. The two Israelis sitting here in Israel reviewing shows from the past in English. Actually, their their level of English is, is, is beyond uh, of
0: I understandable and reasonable. Who could have thought?
1: <laughs> to me, this is uncomprehensible. <laughs> I, I, I can't understand this, but I am thankful for the compliments. I hope it is only the uh, the beginning of, of, of many more reviews to come, or at least one more.
0: <laughs> so, yes, uh, thank you, Oliver, for the kind... Uh reviews for the kind thought we really appreciate it and with that we turn to our next event the first pay-per-view to air on israeli television as we tell you we do these reviews as uh, through the eyes of my, mere israeli wrestling fans and tell you about our experience how we came across the world wrestling federation so yeah this was the first wwf pay-per-view that aired on Channel 5. That's our sports channel. And it was WrestleMania 9. Uh, Gordon, did you see it live back then or did you see it on the red cassettes of Coliseum Video?
1: I've had no way of watching this um, back in the day. No cables where I lived. So I've had no choice. I believe I've only watched this um, in the uh, local Coliseum Video release. I don't know if you've got this one. This, folks, is the way the Israeli release looked like. You now, mean this know, one? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I see you've got the same as mine. I got the same as yours. Well, I, I don't know if we should elaborate on the um, on the subtitles issue. We've had apparently some sort of an ape <laughs> doing the subtitles. It was. It was any, any connection between the, with the, um, the stuff you've actually heard about this tape and the subtitles is purely continental. Exactly. It was the, uh, the how, how can I put this in, in, uh, in layman's terms? It was the, 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 the worst hack job you have ever seen and the event isn't much better.
0: <laughs> yeah, to say the least, if you, if you put in those words. Uh, so we will review the event as we saw it. We both saw it on Kyle's same video. There is a preview show about a half hour long with Sean Mooney uh, presenting us about the whole uh, storylines going to uh, towards WrestleMania 9. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about them as we move through each of the matches. Uh, WrestleMania 9, Las Vegas, Nevada, Caesars Palace, almost 17,000 fans in attendance. Uh, as you all saw in our last review, Royal Rumble 93, at the end of the pay-per-view, we saw Julius Caesar and Cleopatra telling us that this is going to be at Caesars Palace. Yeah, we're getting the whole gimmick now because everybody is in togas, and I'm talking everyone, from the cameraman to the security guards to the ring announcer Howard Finkel, or should I say Finkus Maximus? That was Indeed. something. And <laughs> the only one that wasn't in a toga was Vince McMahon, and I'm really upset about that. Everyone was in a toga except for Vince McMahon. You call that solidarity? I mean, come on, man. Well,
1: You've had everyone in togas, as you've mentioned. We said we, we talked about the think. We've had Monsoon and 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 um, and Gene okerland and the debuting Jim Ross, yep. who was actually um, uh, I believe he he said he was a last minute replacement, and he expected to show up much much more in a in a in a growing um, uh, frequent frequent times. And that sort of didn't happen. He is, of course, way younger here than, uh, than we know him nowadays. His, even his voice is, is higher pitched. And he is one of the, uh, to me at least,
0: he is one of the, um, of the uh, highlights of this show. Completely. When you talk commentary-wise, Jim Ross that is basically he's carrying on this pay-per-view like he does in the next couple of pay-per-views that he does uh, broadcasting he carries a pay-per-view i think the part where they show gorilla monsoon introduced us to wrestlemania 9 is because they give him a little gesture because we wouldn't see him on commentary as the lead announcer for out maybe in the next following next couple of years last time i saw him i'm guessing king of the ring 94 i'm not quite sure other than that, it was only on occasional commentary matches with Jim Ross on Radio WWF. So they said, we're going to give you a little gesture. I believe he took
1: part in the uh, 1994 Survivor Series as well. I Could seem be. to recall his presence there. And, But yeah, uh, Monsoon is um, as a, uh, on the broadcast position. He is dwindling down. And unfortunately, it would only get worse for him. And he is, uh, he is the voice of my childhood. He is the voice of my uh, early beginnings as a fan. Um, sure, I wouldn't trust him to, um, to carry a, uh, a pay-per-view broadcast on his own. But while Ventura or Hina were alongside for the ride, I'm completely okay with that.
0: Actually, I pretty feel he held his own in 1994 in The King of the Ring, but we'll talk about that in a later time. Anyways, WrestleMania 9. And like I said, Jim Ross, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Randy Macho Man Savage are your commentary team. Like I said, Jim Ross carries the broadcast. And this is his first, this is actually his first day of the job on WWF. He did uh, one of the funny stories I remember about coming into this broadcast. When he found out he was going to broadcast WrestleMania 9, he was still working for WCW. And he was on the radio show, I believe. And on his last day on the job, he actually he did a a commercial shoot for WrestleMania Nine on WCW radio. That was awesome. So that's go that's Jim Ross for you right there, being a badass.
1: That is just you know using the uh, the using your 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 right foot to enter properly to this new brand new company, brand new um, role in this company and it would be for ages. Well, with was breaks here and there. But yeah, uh, we should notice that on the first match, well, on the first, shall we say, dark match, Tito Santana breaks his unlucky streak of WrestleManias, which um, he had one victory at WrestleMania one, and the following ones were all losses. Here, he wins in a match, I've had the opportunity to watch. Is it was uploaded? Uh, I don't know about three or four years ago, and it is. I'm afraid to say nothing special. That's all. I've got to remark over about this match.
0: First of all, I've known about the match, the pre-show match, the dark match between Tito Santana, El Matador against Papa Shango, and he wins, but I never saw the match. So if that thing is still available, I'd love to watch it later. It ain't. I'm sorry,
1: it ain't, but you're not missing, unless you're, you know, sort of a trivia buff, you're not missing anything
0: unusual. Then it will forever be a dark match and we'll never see it again. Anyways, let's move on. The first matchup on the card was the Intercontinental title match, and... I know I'm, I'm jumping the I'm jumping the gun ahead I'm jumping a little bit ahead but this by far is the best match on the card. Tatanka versus Shawn Michaels in my opinion at least for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, with Tatanka he's uh, uh, he's coming along he's coming into the ring alongside Cherry and for Shawn Michaels he's accompanied by Luna Vashan. I'm guessing the match was supposed to be Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels but of course Jannetty in his history I'm just guessing. Um, that is
1: one of the rumors I've heard as well. And I want to make sure I've heard you right. Do you believe this is the best match on the cards?
0: As I looked for the pay-per-view once again, this is one of the best matches on the card, if not the best match on the card, I got to say.
1: Okay, we shall disagree. All right. And believe you me, this match to me is is, is stuck on first gear. It uh, is. Look, Tatanka had this uh, um, non-title victory over Michaels. Yeah, he had a, he had a, a, a pinfall victory over Michaels in a in uh, during RAW, I believe, in, in a six-man six man
0: tag. tag with Tatanka and the Nasty Boys defeating the Beverly brothers and the Beverly Brothers and Shawn Michaels. Yeah, indeed.
1: And I believe uh, let's let's um, just put aside for a moment the. Um, the quality of the match, which I'm gonna to touch about, but if there was ever a chance to grant Tatanka with the uh, with a proper um, title reign, title victory and, a title, and an additional title reign, that was this moment. He was still doing the, uh, the uh, victory streak thing. He was still um, popular with the audience. And even though I've never regarded him as you know much of a wrestler, he had to me, he had like this little bit of charisma, and that's the thing that that like worked for him. That was the entire thing. They could have granted him with the uh with the title victory, but they chose not to. The match itself, I believe, Michaels came injured, had an arm injury, and this is not an entertaining match. I cannot say it is. All right. It is on the um somewhat boring side. Now, sure, we'll see worse as this evening goes on. But this is it could have been a better opener than it was. And it just isn't and it and, and it 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 ends in um, sort of, um, I believe it, it is considered as a countout out victory for, uh, for Tatanka. But still, I still cannot shake away the feeling we could have had more to work with here.
0: I think the match was a solid match for what it was. I thought that uh, the finish kind of makes sense if you don't want Tatanka to win the championship. But like you said... If there was any opportunity to put a title on Tatanka, this was it. And I don't know why they didn't pull the trigger on that. Uh, Maybe they had different plans for Tatanka later on, and then they they didn't came into fruition. Um, As for Michaels, he did come into this match injured, and it showed. Uh, But even though it showed, they still had Tatanka working on his arm, So it kind of mixed reality with with cinema, you might say. Uh, But like I said, I thought the match was solid. I thought that both men did a good job overall. And the ending came when they were fighting on the outside and the referee was about to hit the bell when Michaels would count counted out. He pulled him into the outside. So I thought the match ended in disqualification. But then the referee says, no, the match ends in a count out because I already counted the 10 when he counted them out. Tatanka still wins, but he doesn't win the title. One weird spot during the matchup, throughout the match, is that every time Michaels is hurt and is on the outside, Luna Verhan tries to approach him as to take care of him or something but sherry keeps blocking her why do you keep blocking her if you don't care about Michaels after he dumped you
1: I have no idea I've actually no idea and but you what you actually can notice that the entire presence of, uh, of Luna seems to be only in order to in order to, to um, further the um, the Luna Sherry Martel uh, feud, but this one it just you you notice the fact the um, that Michaels tries to distance himself away from Luna, even though you know you came to the ring with me yeah sure whatever but I am not into it. Uh, at thing- least in this way, that's that's how it seems to me
0: yeah because the weird thing is she comes in accompan- she accompanies Michaels to the ring but they have. No interaction, no connection. They don't speak to each other. They don't look at each other. She's just, she's just, it's like, she's just there just to do the hit on Sherry and that's it. So why even accompany him to the match if you're not even a, a factor during the match? You could have, you could have, you I don't know. Like I can see the reasoning with Sherry Martel accompanying Tatanka or coming into the match mid-match to try to uh, d- distract Michaels and maybe cause him to lose the title and then afterwards have Luna attack Sherry. That makes sense. Having both of them during the matchup and do absolutely nothing, except for that weird spot where Sherry protects Michaels from Luna, That that is just weird.
1: I cannot protect this. I can't, <laughs> I can't defend this under, under any means. It, 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 it's just what it is. Right?
0: It is what it is. After the matchup, Luna Vashana demolishes Sherry Martel and we get updates throughout the event that Sherry's been attacked in the medical uh, facility, in the medical room and backstage by Luna Vashan numerous times. Now you don't see the actual attacks, but on call video, you do see one attack that Luna attacks, Luna attacks says Sherry Martel. And yeah, this is pretty much the beginning of the feud between Luna Vashan and Sherry Martel because I believe it started from this event. I don't. I remember the promos and all that, but I think it came afterwards, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I believe so. It, first of all, it should be said that these attacks are vicious-looking.
0: Yeah.
1: And I mean it in, in the uh, in the good sense of the word, not in the um, not in the negative negative sense of the word. Yeah, completely. And uh, rumor has it that um, they were supposed to have a uh, mixed bag at Summerslam with uh, Tatanka and Sherry versus Bam Bam and Luna. And due to an injury, I believe on Sherry's part, it got changed to the uh, six-man tagline. Yeah, right.
0: Kind of fortunate that they never saw a good result to their feud. I remember they had a one-on-one matchup, but then, like you said, it was supposed to progress into a mixed tag match, but it never came into fruition. And that is the first matchup on the card. Before the next matchup, we get an interview backstage with the Steiner brothers saying they're going to make Caesar proud. Yeah, you know, because he hasn't been around for about a thousand years. But yeah, I'm sure he's going to be proud about your matches be, that you'll never see against the Hedge Rinkers. Uh, Your thoughts about the second match, the Snyder Brothers versus the Hedge Rinkers? Okay.
1: I believe this entire show to me is a two-match show. This is one of them. I think it's a great match. It, ha- it includes some very interesting uh, spots. You've got the... Uh, Double clothesline from both Steiners on the head shrinkers for the top yeah. rope as they are both standing simultaneously over. Uh, they leap from the top rope into the head shrinkers, and you've got these this um, this uh, um, doomsday device counter with the uh, uh with the Rick reverse power slamming one of the head shrinkers. That is something I've never seen before. I don't think I'll ever see again.
0: I uh, uh, I could say that I saw that maneuver like like years later. Uh, the Steiner Brothers, when it comes to wrestling, were ahead of their time. These guys were innovators of moves. Uh, I saw a movie back from 1980-something where Scott Steiner actually performs a 450 splash. And I, and I seriously believe he's the first guy to do it. Even the move, the Frankensteiner, I, I don't think he ripped it off. I think he originated the move. Because afterward, because everybody keep, k- keeps calling it the Frankensteiner, not the Huracurana.
1: Um, I can't say, however, he may have been the first to originate this in, in the United States. Um, speaking of which, uh, two blown spots in this match. First of all, the, uh, the finish, Frankensteiner, which kind of worked, but not really. And, of course, you've got the um, Scott Steiner tossed outside of the ring over the top. That is that, – that, that's, that's terrible.
0: That is a nasty part. I want to talk about that. There was a spot – what he's talking about is, is that Scott goes through the ropes and then Fatu lifts him up to do a, um, a shotgun hot to shot. the ropes. A hot shot shotgun to the ropes. And Samu pulls the rope down. It looks like Scott Steiner died. Seriously, he just goes down to the floor, and I thought the, the man seriously died on that spot right there. Luckily, he didn't. Afterward, he gets he gets some brutal shots from a a bamboo shoot or something on his back. It also looks brutal, but luckily it was okay to finish the matchup. Um, I agree, this matchup was awesome, even though it was a little bit short. A much better tag team matchup than we got later on in the in the show. Oh um, yeah, by far. And seriously, the Steiners. Defeating the Headshrinkers, establishing themselves as one of the top tag teams back then in WWF, and that would lead them into a tag team title reign after the after the whole Muddy Incorporated uh, Hulkamaniacs feud.
1: It is kind of weird that the, all the um, Steiner's title victories are placed on house shows. I know they were working the uh, surprise element of anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, but kind of expected more of the. Um, you're, you're giving steiner brothers your your top tag team at this point the titles why won't you do it at the very least on the uh television broadcast not to mention the pay-per-view i don't know i i can't understand this but i want to end this on a humorous note which i've read about just this weekend on tio santana new book there it is oh. tio santana's book nice and he states he says this about the steiners he says, Rick told me that Scott was so cheap that when they finished dining at a restaurant, they would, Rick would leave and Scott would take the tip away.
0: <laughs> uh, not, 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 that's, a, that's a lousy move, Scott. That's a lousy move, if it's real. I'm not, I'm not accusing of anything. Anyways, moving along. The next matchup on the card was Doink the Clown versus Crush. Uh, Before the matchup, we got an interview with Doink the Clown backstage with uh, me and Gene. He explains how this all came unfolded. Uh, Basically, Doink was a clown that harassed wrestlers. Yeah, he harassed them after their matches. He threw buckets of water at them and, and other shenanigans that clowns do. And one time he annoyed Crush and Crush was upset. He almost hit Doink. And after, and then after one, another match of uh, Crush, Doink appears with his arm in a sling, offering a flower as an apology. Crush accepts the flower, and when he walks away, Doink's removed the arm from the sling. It's a loaded arm, and he continues to hit Crush mercifully, and he almost ended his career. And of course, that attack prevented Crush from entering the Royal Rumble back in 93. And we come to this matchup, a WrestleMania match between Crush and a clown. Well, first of all, we should mention the uh, the,
1: uh, the personal turn in this one. Crush says, my grandfather used to be a clown, and you are disgracing the name of clowns everywhere, okay? And we get this so-called match because, I don't know, it seems to be that the only interesting thing in this one is the scheme of colors on both wrestlers.
0: Yeah, those were like, really, really uh, well, so interesting.
1: I should point out the the uh, the portrayal of Matt Board is doing is great. Uh Crush is doing his part. That's character-wise.
0: Yep, completely.
1: Wrestling-wise, uh, I I I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's 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 not once more. That, that's a common thread throughout this one. Not a good match and includes a second doing Steve Kearns slash Skinner at the end. Uh, yeah, I, I think we should just move that on. That wasn't
0: a doing. That was an illusion. It was an illusion. That's Bobby in there set up on Gracefully and just to move on. <laughs> Minor points about the matchup. Number one, even though the clown gimmick is, is just bad, when you take Don the clown and, and make him a heel, that evil clown gimmick works. I loved the evil clown gimmick of doing. I thought it was tremendous. I hated the fact that it turned in face, made them a good guy. Why? The evil clown really worked. It was a good gimmick. Matt Bourne was a genius when he portrayed that gimmick, and then they changed it into a face, and it just, it was just bad. And I don't understand why they did it till this day. For the match itself, here's a point I want to discuss, because we talk about three different matches. Tatanga versus Shawn Michaels, Steiners versus, versus the Hedge Rinkers, and now Crush versus Doink. And I saw the exact same spot performed in each one of the matches when one wrestler goes up the top and the other wrestler catches him with a flying power slam. It's a spot that was performed for, for the third time in the third match in a row. And I'm like, you know, I know there's like an unwritten rule between wrestlers. You don't do the same spot like in, in, a, in each every match, but... Apparently, nobody told these guys because they did the same spot for three matches in a row.
1: Seems like someone just wasn't supervising the script tightly enough. Or and maybe it
0: was just one producing it and was like, "Yeah, I'm too tired. Just do the same spot over and over again.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and that, that is it. It is just what you make out of it. Yeah. Um, as, as you said, turning doing we're we, we, we kind of skipping ahead forward. Turning Doink was one of the worst decisions and I don't know if anyone was thinking about the portrayal of the character. As you turn Doink, he was just jumping. He, he did nothing of note. I don't know. Unless you can call a, a feud with Jeff Jarrett uh, anything uh, of, of, of any importance. There, there's just nothing to it.
0: So yeah, um, w- bad decision turning Doing from heel to face. As for the match itself, it was a pretty much a nothing match. Crush dominating most of it, then Doing tries to crawl under the ring. Crush stops him. He tries to put him in his finisher hole, the Crusher. I don't remember the, the actual Cranium name. Cranium Crunch. What? Cranium Crunch. Cranium Crunch, thank you very much. I didn't remember the name. Uh, but he was able to deter himself and hit the referee with his elbow, knocking him out. Then he tries to crawl under the ring again. Crush stops him, puts him in the cranium crunch, and another doink appears. Another doink appears with the loaded arm, starts attacking Crush, and Jim Ross is screaming, there's two doinks, there's two doinks. And Bobby Heenan's like, no, that's an illusion. And I'm like, really? (laughs) That was a funny spot, always a funny line by Bobby Heenan. They keep attacking Crush. Uh, Then they do the whole mirror thing where they look at each other, and it's like, like, what? You're kidding me. (laughs) So the fake doink crawls back under the ring. The evil doink pins Crush. He gets the victory. Then another referee after the matchup shows up, you know, because there's no instant replay in in the WWF, and says, no, no, there's another doink under the ring, so you should see this, and then you should disqualify him. But they looked under the ring when there was no other doink, presumably.
1: The story was Steve Kern had to be in there, I mean, from the get-go, from the start of the event. He was lying there thinking should I proceed being Skinner? Should I reform my team with Stan Lane? What am I supposed to
0: do with this gimmick and... I mean I was an alligator hunter for God's sake! Look at me now, I'm a clown hunting beneath the ring for three hours! You've had a good living, What you ditch it for?
1: And yeah... Uh,
0: so yeah pretty much <laughs> that's it. Pretty much it. One more thing I should note about Jim Ross is that during the second matchup, it was the first time he used the coined the phrase slobber knocker. And I was like, wow, that's that's the first time he actually signed. Actually said it on WWF programming. Maybe he said it before in WCW, I don't know. But this was uh, the sliders versus head shrinkers, a trivia fact for you. The first time he coined the phrase slobber knocker. So yeah. There you go. Yep. The next matchup on the card, before the next matchup we see Todd Penningill doing some uh, crowd surfing and talking to fans and he talked to Japanese photographers, you know, because it's the 90s and you got to do the whole gimmick thing when you talk to Japanese photographers and they do the whole shtick of not understanding English and going, Yokozuna's number one. God, I hated the 90s for those things.
1: That's like um, uh, Mickey Rooney in Breakfast in Tiffany's Levels yeah, the only,
0: the only difference is those were actual Japanese or Chinese people still. Um, the Mocking is still the same. Mocking is actually is completely still the same. Uh, and from there we go to, oh, maybe one of your favorite matches as well. Razor Ramon versus Bob Backlund. Uh, my apologies in advance, Gordon. Um, you might not know this, but go ahead. Bob Backlund is one of Gordon's favorite wrestlers. He is. He so, Gordon, your thought about this match, yeah. presumably?
1: Look, it should be said this is not a bad match, no. but it's the, um, if I had to nickname it, it's, it's, it's the filler of this one, of this show. Yeah. As, you know, it, it is there, and they apparently had to push, keep on pushing Scott Hall. Beckland wasn't and I'm sorry to say this, wasn't doing anything special. Ever since, uh, perhaps the, uh, aside from his rumble appearance, he wasn't doing anything special uh, right up until his uh, uh, they, they uh, decided to turn him heel. He was sort of um, a relic, shall we say, of uh, of different time. And the outcome is this match, which is okay, I guess.
0: The match was okay, but there's a, there's like a million questions that come up from uh, through this matchup. Number one, Razor Ramon was challenging the WWF champion at the last pay-per-view, and now he's in a filler match. So even though he gets the win, how can you tell me this is a push? Well, no, the term. He was.
1: He, well, he lost it. And and quite uh, on the uh, quite the uh, the claimed victory, and I don't know he never never got the same push ever again. And someone apparently said we still want to keep him fresh. We still want to remind the um, the audience that he's here. Let's put him in this match, and yeah, we'll we'll see worse than this one.
0: For those who may have not watched wrestling back in the 80s and 90s, when they started doing pay-per-views at the beginning, as far as I can remember, they had, let's say, the card could have between 9 to 11 matches. Five of them would have storylines, and the other would just be filler matches. Just to fill up the card, you know, we, we got to keep the people satisfied, so let's fill up the card. And this was another matchup to fill up the card. And I'm saying is, this is a guy... Who was in a championship match, a world championship match at the last pay per view? Yeah, he's against Backlund, and he's a good wrestler, and he's a good and he's a great guy. But could you have found at least like a little bit of a storyline to put into this? Like Razor complaining about this loss, and then Backlund have some sort of a storyline. You need to earn it again, and then you can have this old versus new generation stuff going on. I mean, you could you could do a lot more in this match than just put it in as a filler match
1: apparently someone didn't feel this way they probably didn't feel it was necessary
0: and probably the same guy that did a, a power slam off the top rope like for the third man okay.
1: you are correct yeah and um it is actually beckland's uh first pay-per-view singles bout in the company
0: yeah
1: as amazing as a niche sound the the guy missed the the entire rock and wrestling era and what and the, the stuff that that the went on afterwards and there you go there he is in a less
0: than stellar debut you're talking about the rock and wrestling era that guy missed the the first eight wrestlemanias so yeah he was like rock and wrestling and beyond (laughs) and then he came back for wrestlemania 9. as for the match itself like we said it was okay it was really short and the ending came with some okay I think Razor One with a small package, but Jim Ross calls it an inside cradle.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. So what is one, it? One of the most ancient, ancient controversies is, is a small package really a small package, or is it an inside cradle?
0: So what because is a small package if it's not a small
1: package? It's another term. An inside cradle is another term for a small package at times. To the best of my information, some people still refer to small package as a small package, and they use the inside cradle term to your basic you know, uh, roll up from behind. That's I why they. I would say-
0: on that. I would completely agree on that, except for the fact, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for going a lot back for you, folks, but WrestleMania 8. Savage versus Ric Flair, he won with a roll-up. Gorilla Monsoon says he won with a small package. Did he? Yep. I swear I couldn't recall this one. That's but... why the whole controversy comes up, because I know what a roll-up is, and then Gorilla Monsoon calls it a small package. Maybe he got confused. I'll give him the the benefit of the doubt. And then we come to this matchup, and you know it's a small package, but then <laughs> it's an inside cradle. So I'm like, what the hell?
1: To wrap the, this this entire debate, yeah. um, I have seen the small package referred to many many times as inside cradle. Can't say it was the other thing around, but I believe the proper term is a small package.
0: All right, so it's bilingual. We're silly for that, and thank you for helping us keep the consistency in professional wrestling. All right, next matchup on the card is oh yeah. The first half of our double main event in the middle of the card. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> the World Tag Team title match. Money Incorporated, Ted DiBiase, and Erwin Arshoyster IRS taking on the team of the Mega Maniacs. Uh, Hulk Hogan, Brutus The Zabata Beefcake, and Jimmy, the mouth of the soft heart, as their manager. The story of the matchup. Brutus Beefcake made his triumphant comeback to the World Wrestling Federation a couple of months ago, about two months ago, I believe. Uh, and his first matchup was against Ted DiBiase on Monday Night Raw. After the matchup when Brutus Beefcake won the match, Money Incorporated attacked Beefcake. They pummel him and they pummel him. And then because Beefcake just returned from a uh, reconfiguration uh, operation on his face because he broke it about a year ago, a year and a half even, uh, DBSC friends to break his face again when he takes his briefcase, IRS's briefcase, and tries to ram it into his face. Jimmy Hart tries to stop them. And the first thing that comes to mind is, Jimmy Hart, you did way worse things Back in the day, this is your breaking point. This is the part you're saying, no, I can't do this. I can't I can't break a barber's face anymore. So anyways, they break uh Buddhist Beefcake's face again. The week afterwards, or like two weeks afterwards, uh, someone, uh, uh Buddhist made a call, and a friend came to his aid, and it was Hulk Hogan, making his comeback to the World Wrestling Federation out of nowhere, and they challenged Money Incorporated to a tag title match at WrestleMania. But... The Money Incorporated don't take the challenge seriously because they say, hey, because he got beefcake. He's a weak link. Yeah, it's always nice to call a wrestler a weak link, but they have a plan. So they put an Ultimate Warrior uh, plastic mask on his face so to prevent another briefcase to crack his face again. So this is pretty much the storyline and the setup for this matchup. Gordon, what did you think about the match?
1: The only thing that I can do is rate this specific match because there are not enough minus stars in this one. This one is dreadful. I love DBLC. I love my Crotondo. I can't say the same for the uh, Mega Maniacs. I don't know what was it about this match. It is just who authorized this this, this, this pile of, of, of nothing it is one, you know, I, I, I'll go on, on a rant here, and I'll actually say this is probably the worst tag team match in WrestleMania history, if not in the entire WWE, and I am counting the um, Bradshaw Trish versus Gayda Nowinski match.
0: Um, I'll disagree because I don't think the match is that horrible. I mean, it's not good. It's not a good matchup. It's like, it's an okay match, but it's not a good match. Uh, first thing before the matchup, we get an interview with money incorporated. And at the end of the interview, they're saying Hogan might have a little accident last night. And. When they come to the ring, of course, Jim Ross is asking Bobby, you know, what are they talking about, Bobby? And Bobby said, no, that, that was nothing. I was actually with them at the club last night until 4 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, so Bobby covers for a potential uh, uh, brutal assault with an alibi, which is completely insane to me, with, with Bobby risking uh, doing the uh, uh, perjuring under court, <laughs> when he actually lies about your whereabouts last night. So yeah, Hogan comes in with a shiner. He has a black eye on his face, and the rumors are that if you hear, if you if you listen to Hogan, he says he had a, a ski accident, something like that, a boat ski accident. But the rumors say that he got a black eye from Randy Savage. Gordon, would you care to elaborate?
1: That's the same thing I've heard. Apparently, uh, Savage wasn't too satisfied. With uh, Hogan uh, getting involved uh, between him and Elizabeth, um, contributing to their divorce in, in a certain way, and he just popped him, and yep. that was the, uh, the the end result. And I, I should say, by the way, um, that I prefer the uh, you've had the uh, the tape of the um, of history of WrestleMania. Yeah, I preferred the match included in the uh, history of Wrestlemania tape because it's clipped and we don't have that's right what
0: clip what match
1: this tag team title match is once again shown when they review WrestleMania 9 yeah okay. at history of WrestleMania tape i prefer the clipped version just so i won't have to sit through this living nightmare once <laughs> again
0: thank you uh, so yeah we go to the matchup it's all Mega Maniacs from the beginning until the middle. And then Money Incorporated say, you know what? We don't need this. Let's just go back to the, let's just, let's just go to the back, hit the casinos, do something. So they walk out of the ring, the referee starts the count, and then he stops. The crowd is booing. And then he goes to the ring announcer, and the ring announcer says, if Money Incorporated don't come to the ring, back, come back to the ring right now until the count of 10, they will not only lose the match, but they will also lose the tag team championships. Who made you general manager Earl Hebner when you can do this this monstrosity's decisions? I mean, come on, seriously, what the hell? Apparently, um, they tried
1: to borrow a page of, uh, of their last WrestleMania appearance, which ended just this way, at the same manner. And it seems to me like look, there's a certain logic to this. Because Money Inc. used to take the count out loss on quite, or or attempt to take the count out loss on quite a, uh, quite a routine. And yes, this is, once you feel, or apparently Finkel felt, they have exaggerated and used this way too much. He said, no, 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 I'm changing the rules right now. I'm the, uh, the, uh, tempera. I am just, G- yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. just,
1: just, just for tonight. And I am calling the shots right now and I will never forget uh, nor forgive Finkel for keeping on with this match.
0: You know, putting his consistency aside, I'm just saying I'm just hate the fact that Earl Hebner does whatever he wants as a referee and starts interfering in matches and changing decisions and stuff like that at a whim. I mean, come on, Hebner, and kind of, you know, and you say to yourself, you're not a crooked referee. Give me a break. Anyway, the match continues, and then they finally, Money Incorporated finally get the upper hand. They attack Beefcase and they finally remove his mask from his face. Oh no, now he's vulnerable. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, they now start attacking Hogan. Uh, he was putting the million dollar dream, he makes a comeback. Beefcake is able to hit a sleeper on uh, IRS from the other side. S- somewhere down this whole mess, the referee gets knocked out. Um they finally beat uh, Money Incorporated with the mask that b-, that b had. They, like, used the actual mask and they hit him in the face of both Money Incorporated. That's an amazing disqualification, by the way. And they pin him. No referee inside. What happens? Jimmy Hart turns his jacket upside down. And it look, it looks like a referee now. So he pins – he makes a pinfall. And, yeah, they win the championship. Not really because then Danny Davis comes to the outside. Another referee, Danny Davis – and says um, uh, Hulkamaniacs were disqualified. And uh, Money Incorporated retained the tag team titles. Afterwards, they attacked Danny Davis. And it's a party, yeah! Hulk Hogan's Real American played through the sound system for about 25 minutes, which in the end, they do the whole posing and the strutting, and then they take Arrowhead's briefcase, and they pull out a brick from there, and tax forms, and money. They have actual money in that briefcase, and they spread it around, and this entire ordeal was about 25, 30 minutes, only the party at the end, and by God, I'm just happy this match is is over. It's not the worst match in WrestleMania history, but it was not a good one.
1: You are being way too kind for not saying, just saying it's not a good one. You you (laughs) underestimate the horribleness of this, so so-called match, because I can I can just move on and, and and I I would I would feel better not discussing this this <laughs> thing. And we'll Which never discuss this match again. Apparently, if you look like a referee, you're also given the the uh, the uh, the permission to act as a referee. This just goes
0: nowhere too slow it doesn't work like that everybody knows that (laughs) anyways moving on to the next matchup on the card actually I think I believe this match was actually a really good one um the narcissist Lex Luger taking on Mr. Perfect we get an interview backstage with Mr. Perfect about the narcissist they tell us that Lex Luger attacked the WWF champion Bret Hart during a brunch earlier in the day and what was the reasoning of that? It was supposed to set up a feud between Luger and Brett? Apparently, that was the
1: plan. They had sort of, um, as you called it, they had the, uh, the attack angle. And I think they met in uh, house shows during six-man tags and uh, all sorts of brawls. And yeah, apparently they tried to work it, but someone decided against it at the last moment and uh as a result we didn't get luger versus brett just yet
0: actually i did see a match of them in the house show and i thought they actually met ma- they mounted ma- ma- like they geled pretty good i thought it was a really decent matchup and i was really inquired i was really curious to see how what, what kind of a feud that would be between bret hart and the narcissist anyway the match is the match is mr perfect versus the narcissist next luger The story of the match, Mr. Perfect defeated Ric Flair after the Royal Rumble 93, thus banishing Ric Flair back to WCW. But, of course, he was friends with Bobby Heenan, so Heenan always has a plan B. He brought in the narcissist, Lex Luger, at the Royal Rumble 93. We apologize, we're not talking about that in our last fair review, and we're going to talk about it right now. So, yeah, during that infamous debut, he said that he is beyond perfection. Thus, you know, he wants Mr. Perfect in a match. So there's a good segment also on the pre-show showing us uh, an episode of Superstars where Luger's looking in the mirror. Mr. Perfect comes along and he asks the mirror, "Who's the perfect of them all?" With his towel, with his name engraved engraved in that towel, saying it's Mr. Perfect. Really nice, really nice segment. You should watch it if you can. Anyways, as for the match itself, like I said, I thought it was a really good matchup. Also, this is toga. This is Roman times. Everybody has something special, you know, togas and stuff. Luger gets a special entrance with the, let's call them the Virgin Maidens, whatever, and it's a really nice touch. Also, later on, Undertaker has the same thing with a chariot. Why didn't they do this for any other wrestler on the show? I thought it was a missed uh, opportunity.
1: Mm, I can only...
0: Like, can Maybe. you imagine if Doink the Cloud enters the ring with like gestures and stuff like that from Roman times? I thought it would be awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it could be, but it would also take time and some more thinking and you've got well you got the biggest the biggest show of the year even back then you don't want to overload it you've got enough stuff going on as it is that's uh that's the way i look at it
0: anyways as for the match itself like i said a very good match up from both individuals i really think that luger did one of his best jobs in the wwf as the narcissist lex luger he works better as a heel than a face the ending came when Luger does a back, backslide, but when doing so, he gives a little bit more elevation. But Perfect's legs hit the ropes and they touch the ropes, so it should be a break. But the referee didn't see it. Pinfall for free. Luger wins. Perfect, of course, argues with the referees after the match. After the match, and Luger hits him with that elbow <laughs> pad. With, with that, sorry, with the elbow itself, knocking Perfect out. He goes back to the backstage. Perfect is upset. Goes back to the backstage himself. Finds Luger. Finds Luger. Attacks them, and then out of nowhere, Shawn Michaels starts attacking Mr. Perfect. And that was it. Gordon, your thoughts?
1: Remember when I said this show had a, to me, is a two-match show. So this is the second one. It is very, very decent. It flows very well. Yeah. I'll go even further than that. I believe this is probably Luger's best WWF match.
0: I would agree on that. Completely agree on that. Just
1: good. It's it's perfect before he totally ruined himself. It is Luger before he became the-, uh, the American uh,
0: made, mainly USA.
1: American male, US Express, every other tag team you wanna. <laughs> um, this is it's beyond good it's very good I'll, I'll, I'll even go there it's just that
0: you know what I'll actually change my decision I think this is the best matchup on the card it was solid it was good yeah it was solid it was good it was a great performance by both wrestlers the finish was a little bit weird but I'll, 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 I'll just take it as it is why um, would you this,
1: uh, this, this this finish weird please tell me
0: you know, because he's doing a backslide and the referee is looking at the shoulders but he doesn't look at the legs when they're near the ropes.
1: You want to talk refereeing?
0: No, I I'll want to talk, talk about consistency.
1: <laughs> I'll talk refereeing with you. All uh... I'll, I'll, I'll just explain. Go, ahead,
0: go ahead, man. Give me, give me your thoughts. Okay.
1: When you're a referee, you are supposed to take a look at the shoulders of the pinned performer. Therefore, the referee appointed for this match Please forgive me, I, I forgot who it was. By all means, he was doing his job. Semi-job as a blind person, as the um, as the job wants us to be. He was counting the shoulders, counting down the shoulders of the pinned performer. And basically, that, that was it. He
0: doesn't need to look upwards. True, but if the pinfall occurs near the ropes, where the the pinned wrestler has a chance to hit the ropes to break the pinfall, he should have his also have his eyes on the ropes. So I'm just saying. Well, he should. Yet he didn't. You
1: know, <laughs> us. us uh, well, I, I keep on saying us referees. We all need canes and and walking dogs. That. Being a former free, I, I can.
0: Uh... No, no, like it was just a minor mistake, but it, nevertheless, it's still a great matchup, the best matchup on the card. And like I said, I thought the Narcissist Lex Luger gimmick worked. It worked beautifully. And I was really sad, or maybe more bummed, when they changed it into the American made in the USA Lex Luger, because I thought the Narcissist had potential. If you would stick to that gimmick, who would have thought maybe could have even become in the WWE in the, Champion in the future, but plans didn't work that way. Could be. Yeah. After this, uh, we get a segment from Gorilla Monsoon explaining to us there's two more matches going on with The Undertaker and John Gonzalez and the main event. This made absolutely no sense because what? You took a Gorilla Monsoon off the show, so you want to give another extra minutes? So what was this, like a pity segment? What, what was it was
1: Up until this moment where you've mentioned it, I swear I didn't even remember this going on.
0: Because I wasn't on Coliseum Video. It was on uh, the WWF Network's version. So, yeah. There you go. Yep. We don't have it on Coliseum Video, folks. All right. The next matchup on the card. Oh, yeah. This is a doozy. Giant Gonzalez taking on The Undertaker. The story of the matchup. If you saw our last review, Royal Rumble 93, I'm going to plug that finger to the end. Um, the Undertaker was a participant in the Royal Rumble match. In the Royal Rumble match. And during the matchup, the Giant Gonzalez, accompanied by Harvey Whippleman, made his debut into the Federation. He attacked the Undertaker, eliminated him from the Royal Rumble matchup, continued to attack him, and this was basically a retaliation for Undertaker burying Kamala. So the match was set. WrestleMania 9 giant gonzalez versus the undertaker uh undertaker like i said had a tremendous entrance when he was coming with a chariot and green mist and a vulture or an eagle or whatever that was it was it was i think it was actually it was really awesome gordon your thoughts on the match the awesomeness ends
1: when the match starts
0: yeah pretty much and look. yeah this was bad what
1: we should say Gonzalez is a sight to behold. His height is very impressive. Yeah. I cannot say the same about his lack of wrestling abilities. And I actually, at a point, thought he had no other moves aside from choking. But then I remember... I'm what... saying
0: he was saving that 450 splash for a special occasion. I'm just saying.
1: mm I think he was banking on that Moonsault.
0: <laughs>
1: anyway. Look, it, it should be said about the lack of moves. I once saw him in a match versus Randy Savage where he pulled out a clothesline. <laughs> so choking... Out of nowhere! <laughs> only choking is is it same for nails. This guy is an athlete. He chokes, he clotheslines, he does everything aside from having a good match. And this one shares the, uh, the minus stars along with the uh, aforementioned uh, tag team title match.
0: So, yeah, this wasn't a good matchup. Gonzalez, of course, controlling the majority of the matchup because he's more powerful than The Undertaker. Uh, you know, we're joking about Giant Gonzalez. But the truth is, the guy was limited in the ring as to the moves he was performing. He, barely, he could barely walk during that time, back in 93. Uh, basically, it was clotheslines and chokes and chokes and clotheslines and maybe throwing your st- your opponent into just ch- some stairs on the outside. That was it. So his in r- his in ring work was very limited. So this is what we this is how, what we had to work with. So yeah, Gonzalez controlling the matchup. Undertaker performs a comeback. Uh, he takes the giant to one knee. Then at that point, Harvey Wilborn throws some cloth some cloth into the ring. Giant Gonzalez grabs that cloth. He puts it across the Undertaker's face. And Jim Ross from way over at commentary starts to smell. And he says, that smells like chloroform. How powerful was that scent? (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, it was chloroform to, you know, like the storyline says. And the Undertaker gets passed out. They call in a bunch of agents and producers and, and paramedics to carry out the Undertaker backstage. The giant Gonzalez stands in the ring victorious. Uh, no official uh, statement has been made yet. The crowd starts chanting for Hogan. Yeah, because we want to see Hogan against the Giant Gonzalez, right? Folks? No, we don't. We don't want to see it. Yeah. So then the gong hits. The Undertaker comes out of the out uh, from the backstage. The crowd is livid. Bobby Heenan screams, he is not alive. Paul Heenan, uh, sorry, Paul uh, Paul Bear tries to stop The Undertaker, but he can't stop him. The Undertaker continues to chop down the giant Gonzalez, performed that flying clothesline, and he finally takes the big man down. Official result, Undertaker wins by disqualification. The match was atrocious, the match was horrible, but the ending was at least good. That comeback, that crowd livid, I think it, for that only, maybe it was worth it, maybe. Crowd was into it at the uh, final stages of the match.
1: I'll agree. It can't be served as a saving grace for this one. Uh, by the way, I've had no idea about, again, thanks to Tito's book. Thank you, Tito. Uh, I was informed that um, actually the guy, the uh, um, um, Gonzalez is the handler, was uh, none other than Bill Alfonso and he indeed and he was brought from WCW in order to uh, handle all uh, all the stuff needed to work with uh, elegante back then and in also also in order to work some uh, refing duties but he was he was very close he would uh, travel with him and uh, be as we said his time.
0: Well, that explains how come he's the only guy that gets chokeslammed in the aftermath. So, yeah. That's right. All right. So, that was The Undertaker versus The Giant Gonzalez. Then we get a last interview with Hulk Hogan, uh, talking about, we don't even talk about his last match. Who remembers that one? That thing that happened a long time ago, that tag title match. He wants to talk about the WWF Championship. He looked into the eyes of Brett Hogan, brother, and he looked into the eyes of Yokozuna, brother, that Jap brother, and he basically says, Whoever wins, I want the next shot. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Hogan putting himself over. He wants the next title shot against whoever wins, either it be Bret Hart or that chap, brother, brother, brother. Yeah.
1: Surprising, isn't it?
0: No, nope, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm completely in shock. I mean, I'm, seriously, I did not see this <laughs> coming by a no mile. So, anyway, from there, <laughs> we move on to our main event. WWF championship on the line, Yokozuna, the man who won the Royal Rumble back in the, you know, Royal Rumble 93, taking on the WWF champion, Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, Gordon, I'll give you the honors, man. Your thoughts, what did you think about, first of all, the match, then we're going to talk about the aftermath.
1: It is quite a reasonable match. It is not bad. And apparently, uh, I was actually told not too long ago. Yeah. Apparently, it appears in Brett's book. I've read it numerous times, and I couldn't remember this: that Yokozuna just was just gasped and um, and said, "Let's just cut to the finish." And there were about I don't know, ten or fifteen minutes missing. Really? Due, yep. That's due to the fact that, that that he decided to call it home very very early.
0: I don't know because like when I when I saw the match, it actually looked good pace like it didn't seem like it was shorter like so i'm surprised
1: well i don't know apparently perhaps they didn't uh, want to push hogan out of wrestlemania and have him celebrate an hour less as it seems and we have lost bam bam and kamala to
0: this i was gonna mention that at the end of the review but before that Let's talk about it. Uh, before the matchup, uh, Jim Ross asks his colleagues, who do you think is going to win? Bobby Inan says, yo, Kazuna, of course. J- Randy Savage goes, and I, I actually quoted this. Oh, yeah, he's going to do the thing in the ring. In the- and Jim Ross looks at him like, what the hell do you want, man? I don't know what the hell you just said, but okay, let's move on in the matchup. And That's a one-
1: typical, It's the typical Randy Savage reply. Ross is just new in the company, and he...
0: Here's the thing, sometimes Savage was good on commentary when he wanted to, but there was these times when Jim Ross asked him a direct question, looking for an answer, and Savage would just go, would go, like, would just like, would just go like, well, I don't know, man, because there's a thing in the past in the, in the Lions, and he goes up and there, ooh, yeah, and I'm like, what? <laughs> he would be Savage. Yes, that was, that was just weird. That's what, we, that's what we keep saying. Jim Ross carried the broadcast here and in King of the Ring 93, which we will review next. Yeah, yeah. that's why that's, these kind of spots just irritated me with the fact that Jim Ross fingered himself. He come into this new job in WWF, and he, I swear to God, he probably had this thing going on in his head. I left WCW for this?
1: I believe he's, he said he's actually very, very thankful to both savage and heenan for carrying him throughout the broadcast
0: doesn't look like that look like say, jim ross doing the most of the job most of the job there that's what he said it's in his book all right so onto the match itself this match was to me was good it was a really good match up i think the difference uh between the size and the power against the quickness and the stealth of bret hart works really really well in the game between those two forces. Um, Right from the get-go, Bret Hart attacks Yokozuna with a dropkick. He comes charging in, but Yokozuna is too strong. So Bret Hart has to be a little bit smarter. Yoko throws Bret Hart to the outside. He tries to come back in. Yoko hits him. He tries to come back in again. Bret Hart traps his leg in the rope. He He comes tumbling down, and he attacks him from there. Uh, from that point on, Yokozuna gets the momentum, hits that massive leg drop like we talked about. It looks like a devastating move. Every time Yokozuna hit a leg drop on someone, it looks like he killed him. So, it's... A bit to that. Th- th- this is one of the, uh, one of the favorite
1: moves of, of, of watching Yokozuna perform. Yeah. By the way, I can't recall, is this the one where, uh, Brett leaps from the top into a belly-to-belly suplex? Or is this WrestleMania 10?
0: Um, as far as I can remember, it was WrestleMania 10. I don't remember that spot during this matchup. Okay. So, Bret Hart was able to do a comeback, and then there's a point he hammers Yokozuna on the turnbuckle. Yokozuna tries to pull him through, but Bret Hart keeps holding on to the padding. Uh, but Yokozuna's too strong, so he pulls Bret Hart from there and the padding itself. Then we get uh, Yokozuna trying to ram Bret Hart's head into the exposed steel of the turnbuckle. Bret Hart puts a leg to block it, and he hits Yokozuna instead. And from there, from something that I can simply say is astonishing, Bret Hart is able to lock in Yokozuna in the sharpshooter. And it's awesome. It's awesome because of the fact that Yokozuna's legs are so massive that you can't really even imagine Bret Hart locking in the sharpshooter. But he does. And it looks awesome. But... Yeah, but then Earl Hebner's eyes on like, Yokozuna looking. Are you gonna tap out? He doesn't see Mr. Fuji on the outside, spraying that uh, salt in his hand. Throw it into Bret Hart's eyes, and now Bret Hart is just blinded. And then he just releases the hold. Now, you know, not that I'm going to criticize any referees, but if someone performs a, a finish uh, submission move on someone, and then he suddenly breaks hold, breaks the hold, and he covers his eyes like this. And I would maybe question what's wrong with the guy. But no, Herbland didn't do anything because Herbland Herbland doesn't do anything. Yokozuna just rolls him up for the free. And Yokozuna becomes the WWF champion. That is the match. Now, Gordon, I'm going to give you the honors again. Let's talk about the aftermath. What did you think?
1: First, I want to sort of uh, be uh, the uh, devil's advocate for Hebner. Brett may have gotten himself sunstroked. <laughs> so it, it it could happen, you know.
0: And it was five in the five thirty in the afternoon. There was shade all over. What kind of sunstroke? What are you talking about? He then would say, "These things take time to <laughs> to to get a person affected." Yeah, yeah, I
1: know. I... Okay. So you go. First of all, it was nice of them to uh, remember the uh, Fuji history versus Brett uh, from the uh, Demolition Heart Foundation days, and they 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 should have mentioned this. I really believe they should have. Um, shall we talk about the abomination happening afterwards?
0: You go right ahead. I will give you the honors. What do you think? It it, it is such an act of, of,
1: I can't even describe it properly. It's glory hounding, that's what it is. It's ending at the very same way you've ended like the, 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 uh, the previous eight WrestleManias with Hogan on top at some of them retaining or regaining the title give me a break how long for how for how much more time are we going to see this some say it may be the last time I wouldn't bank on it knowing (laughs) Hogan
0: all right, so what we're talking about is this after the matchup, Hulk Hogan runs to the ring. He tells the referee, he's, he's, he's these stolen eyes, brothers. Come on, brother. And of course, Mr. Fuji turns to Hogan. Hogan, Mayu Kozula is your challenge. Come on, you yellow belly. <laughs> and he basically says, Hogan says, No, forget it. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Bret Hart back to medical care. But then Mr. Fuji says, Hold on a minute. We'll do it right now. We'll put the WWF championship match in the ring right now. And the crowd is living again. They want to see Hogan get in there and beat the Japanese brother. But Hogan says, no, I can't do this. I can't betray my friend. And Bret Hart, with his eyes blinded, he, he just points to the ring and says, go in there, Bret Hogan. Do, go do it for America. And whatever, he's Canadian. He
1: endorses Hogan. Man. H- he
0: endorses Hogan, he exactly.
1: Enjoying, and and apparently it, 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 it was in the book, in Bret's book, And he states, I was told, Hogan would only work tag team matches with beefcake. Well, apparently this is a tag team match now, because Hogan is in the ring. He is facing Yokozuna for a brief time, and he wins the title. Well, this is the oddest tag team match I've ever seen.
0: What are you talking about? It's Hogan and Brad versus Fuji and Yokozuna, an established tag team match. What are you talking about? Anyway, so yeah, Hogan runs to the ring, Yoko attacks him. Uh, The bell hasn't even rung. Fuji grabs that salt again. The referee says, no, you can't do that. He throws it into the eyes of Yokozuna. Uh, Hogan knocks Fuji down. He knocks Yokozuna down. Leg drop, one, two, three. Hogan wins the WWF Championship for a fifth time. Uh, Everybody in Las Vegas is just uh, ecstatic. They're overjoyed. They're happy to see Hogan the champion once again. And in a video I just saw a couple of days ago, something I've never seen before, it, there, it appears the po- there's a post celebration and Hogan's in the ring with Beefcake and Jimmy Hart. Beefcake, by the way, wears a different tie, by the way. And Vince McMahon shows up and he hugs Hogan. And even Savage is there to do a, a high five fist bump with Hogan. And that's, that's just weird to me because if the rumors were true that Savage hit Hogan, that doesn't make any sense. So, I didn't yeah. pop him in the other eye. <laughs> you're gonna pop him in the other eye. So yeah. So that's how the pay per view ends. Now, as for the whole debacle, this monstrosity of a decision, I can see a minimum of logic in it. And I tell you what. Why, what is that logic? Hear me out. Hear me out. Not. I'm not a. I'm not an advocate. And I'm not. I'm not I, an advocate for Hogan. I'm just trying to look at the at the I, logical I, 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 reason. I, 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 We've talked about it before in our Hebrew Gay podcast that if you want to you wanna send out the, the crowd home happy, if Yokozuna would have beaten Bret Hart, the crowd would not be happy. That's point number one. Number two, if Bret Hart would have defeat Yokozuna, what would be the point in that? I mean, you're building Yokozuna to be the next top monster. It doesn't make any sense for Yokozuna to lose this matchup. Point number two. Point number three. With Hogan going in and doing the whole schmuzz thing, he beat Yokozuna only after Yokozuna had a match. So Yokozuna wasn't the freshman. So there's logical reasoning behind Hogan winning the title from there. Now, the plan, according to various sources and news outlets and whatever, the plan was supposed to be Hogan versus Brett at SummerSlam where Brett would get the torch passed on passed on to him from Hogan. That would make any sense. That makes sense, sorry. But why, where would that leave Yokozuna? I mean, he just lost the match. If the if the torch moves the to Brad, so where does Yokozuna stand in this? I believe they could have ended WrestleMania with Britt
1: retaining in a victory over Yokozuna the fact remains that it should have been sort of a fluke victory because Yokozuna is there to stay. They could have um, faced each other in a rematch some other time down the road. It's entirely up to how do you perform the feat. And this wasn't the, uh, the correct way of, uh, of doing it. That, that's, it's, it's, it's just so flawed to me and uh, to many others
0: no i, I know the flaw because he uh, hogan sorry is an egotistical uh, j- uh jerk i'm sorry to say that only from a, a, a subjective point of view but <laughs> the thing is the other uh solutions to this match do not make any sense because if yokozuna loses then he loses his entire push after winning the royal rumble that doesn't make any sense if Yokozuna wins without the whole Hogan thing happen, you don't send the crowd home happy. And those were the days where you want to send the crowd home happy after a pay-per-view. Even a beat down, Maybe if, a, if there was a beatdown afterwards by Hogan against Yokozuna to set up a match later on, that would be acceptable, maybe. But I don't see an option where Yoko loses or Bret Hart loses clean and then Yoko just stand there as the victor as the correct uh, result for WrestleMania to end. If the plan were to Bret Hart to face Hogan, this thing would have made a whole lot of sense later on. But that thing didn't happen. Hogan turned out to lose the championship to Yokozuna the next pay-per-view. It wouldn't even wait until SummerSlam. He lost it at the King of the Ring, and Bret would have to wait almost an entire year to get the rematch against Yokozuna. But for what it's worth, the ending does make some logical sense.
1: Well, you know me, I'm not... I, uh, I'm not a great fan of, um, technical outcomes, but this one could have worked in here as well. I don't know, some sort of a DQ, I wouldn't say a Kiana, but it's, it's to me, it's too weak of a result for the main event. Perhaps a DQ, perhaps, I don't know, a, um, I wanted to say a victory roll, but I don't think you can pull it off uh, out of Yokozuna, even back then, I don't know. I, I I stick to my version of it, and I think it could have been, it, it, they could have performed it so much better in a more convincing fashion than the, uh, the
0: final outcome we, uh, we received. I think maybe the logical solution would be for Yoko to win against Brad, and then Hogan comes in and beats down Yokozuna after the matchup. Not winning the title, but to set up the next feud. That is maybe the logical solution to this, uh, k- this debacle. But that, 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 that is not what we got. Uh, this is what he got instead. And we'll talk about that when we do our next review. And like Gordon said, there was supposed to be an, another matchup on the card. Kamala versus Bam Bam Bigelow. They advertised it in the preview show, and uh, but they didn't talk about it at the pay-per-view itself. What was the reason that this match did not happen?
1: Uh, to the best of my knowledge, just a um, time shortage. Really? Yep. There, there's nothing too serious. Um, it's just, it just time shortage. I believe they have uh, competed against each other later on. I don't know, at, at Challenge or Superstars yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Wrestling Challenge, I believe, on, yeah. on a much smaller scale. Yeah. But was again... A- it's Big old against Kamala. It's not exactly uh, the uh, the Iron Man you'd like to see. So yeah, there
0: It was a decent match. I saw that match on Wrestling Challenge. By the way, Bam Bam won with a roll-up. When you watch the Carlson video version, there's a showing of Kamala in a zoo talking to an elephant, and they have this uh, subtitles on the bottom saying, due to reasons beyond our control, the match between Kamala and Bam Bam Bilo did not take place. My, we're apologizing and whatever. So that <laughs> that's pretty much it. So that was WrestleMania 9 from Las Vegas, Nevada, Caesars Palace. And we're now going to grade it, a a grade between 1 or 1 till 10 with a record of zero if the show was a complete catastrophe. Gordon, your honest opinion. What did you think about WrestleMania overall? And what is your grade between 1 till 10? I would say that it is,
1: I don't know, sort of a... Less than a reasonable show. However, on the strength of the uh, two aforementioned matches, I would
0: give it a five. I would have to agree or maybe even go a little bit lower, but you know what? I will stick it at five. Five out of of ten. Half of the show was decent. Half of the show was horrendous. Uh, but yeah it gave us lifetime of memories and, and nostalgia to talk about and review here on uh, close on retro and yeah for what it's worth this was a memorable wrestlemania for for better or worse i agree <laughs> So that was our review for WrestleMania 9. We will love to know in the comments, what did you think about WrestleMania 9? What did you think about this review? How was our English? We're hoping we were completely understandable. And stay tuned to our next review, which will be King of the Ring 1993, the first edition of the King of the Ring in a pay-per-view format. And Gordon, what can we expect from that pay-per-view?
1: King of the Ring 93 is the um, very, very much expected Bret Hart breakthrough. It has not a good match, not a good day to title match. I find it very, very tiresome. And it has an eight man tag match for some reason.
0: We needed a filler, so we just put it on matching. Yeah.
1: We got eight guys,
0: <laughs> so yeah, that is coming up at the next close on retro review. So once again, thank you for watching. We really appreciate it. We'd love to hear your comments down below. And if you want to stay notified when, when we're uploading these videos, hit a like, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification button. And we'll see you next time on Clothesline Retro.